game is so beautiful, you know. Come play. Flip the page. Dynasty is the newest rage. Maybe you've played. Maybe you've made a trade. Trade list, and now these fish are all up on ya. I mean, you won three ships. They wish they had your. So this is it. You wanna learn the game. 101 pick when it hits you feel no pain. Praying for the fantasy championship. Hit the books, kid. Read this pamphlet called the Dynasty Owner's Manual. It's automatic. Dynasty. It's automatic. Owner's Manual. It's automatic. Dynasty. It's automatic. And here are your authors, Chris Allen and Adam Will. All right, everybody, welcome back. I'm Chris Allen, the co-host of the Dynasty Owners Manual podcast, and this is episode 27. And we're here with, I'm, and we were just going through this just a second ago. And actually, Eitan, before we actually introduce you and talk about what you're doing, I guess the background, or I guess the stories you're telling us about, like folks having to try and pronounce your name. Because I think that'd be funny to try to help folks understand really like who you are as a person. And I guess kind of if you've had the same, uh, I guess, circumstances as becoming a writer in fantasy. Absolutely. Um, both my parents are Nigerian. Uh, I am a first generation American. Uh, my mom's name is Helen. My dad's name is Timothy. And they went with Sison or Shaitan for me. And yes, I said that correctly. Don't try to pronounce it. I understand. But, uh, but the name's actually Sison or Shaitan. I go for my Aitan, the last four letters of that name, to kind of make it easier uh, for people to understand. But there was a funny story. Uh, when I was in school, when I was in college, um, I would uh, be there on the first day of class as required. And, of course, the professor would take a roll, and he would go down the list. And I'd wait for him to get through the you know, A's, B's, C's, finally the middle of the alphabet and then just sit there and look really confused like he's smelling something really bad or you just got hit in the mouth and not really know what to do and at that point i would raise my hand and be like hey hey that's that's me go by eight times it's a lot easier that way and, and that was always a good way to i guess to, to meet all the people in the class real quick yeah i can i can totally understand that and i had uh, a number of friends both uh in college and in high school that have a, a similar background to, to yourself so i can definitely understand because i remember sitting in class with a couple of them and having the professors and instructors and whatnot having a, a similar look while they're trying to pronounce their names so i can i can definitely get behind that that type of uh, uh references or i guess a history of like for for what you've had to go through so i can definitely understand that. but we Appreciate you being here tonight and uh, sitting down with us, and we're going to get into some of the dynasty aspects and some of the research that you've done. Uh, but before we do that, uh, I wanted to bring in my co-host Adam. Adam, man, how, how you doing tonight? Before we get into, I guess, week twelve and Thanksgiving, and we got all sorts of stuff going on this weekend. So, what you got going on, man? I'm good, man. I'm excited to pod. Aitan's name has about twenty six letters. My last name has five, and people still call me wild. So I guess I can appreciate that. <laughs> yep, and actually we were just talking about that this past weekend. I had the privilege of meeting up with a number of folks that we interact with uh, on Twitter on a fairly regular basis. Uh, folks like the great J. Mike, TK, Chris Swoboda. I mean, all, I mean, all sorts of folks that we were able to sit down at. Justin, I mean, I mean, Bosch, I mean, the great Bosch himself, who actually... Uh, 
he might have an issue now that he found out about this wonderful Belgian triple that uh, the Matry Brewery has available to him, so I'm sure he's going to be making yet another pit stop over there at some point. But, yeah, it was great to actually sit down and meet with everybody, and, of course, the topic of your last name came up because between you and Swoboda... Oh, uh, man. We were trying to figure out how to pronounce the, uh, people's last names and whatnot, and uh, it was uh, quite a funny conversation. We were going back and forth <laughs> over that for, for a little bit, so... Yeah, I so, can imagine... Yeah, so it's 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 fun. I mean, it's all fun, all fun whenever uh, folks that are part of the fantasy community get a chance to get together, and uh, whether it be physically or on uh, Google Hangouts like we're doing here tonight, uh, you know, it's definitely a good time to be had for all folks. So, Aton, we appreciate you again coming out tonight, and you and I, we both write for fan tracks. Uh, I do. I've done mostly like off-season research and stuff, uh, but I know that as you started to come on, and I've I've read a lot of your work so far, and man, you're putting out some uh, some great content. Uh, but I know that as we were talking beforehand, it sounds like you have some more work or some more ideas or some more shows that uh, might be coming forward in the in the off-season. So I wanted to give you a chance to preview that before we get into some of the work that you wanted to showcase with us this evening. I appreciate that, and um, you know I've been a big fan ever since you guys uh, did come out. Although it was not that long ago, I do I was there for the first show, so uh, you guys have been killing it, and you kind of inspired me to do my own thing. Uh, this off season, actually, what I plan on doing is a show. I'm going to be doing that with FF Stompy. You can find him on Twitter. You can find myself at FF underscore Wonderkid, and uh, we're just really going to get into dynasty teams and. Uh, start to kind of give people some actionable advice on their specific teams, uh, just to kind of give an idea of uh, how uh, we should really be looking at uh, our, our dynasty assets and, and what types of moves certain owners should be doing in certain situations. I actually, I really dig that idea because I think for a lot of podcasts and uh, for ours, like ours included, where we well we try and dive into the specifics where we talk about practical application, but I do think that with a lot of podcasts with you with so much news and with so much I guess not necessarily actual info but just processes and methodologies that individual hosts want to put out, it's hard for them to try and go from the macro perspective of hey try and do this type of method or incorporate this type of process in order to make your team better to also drill all the way down into the nuts and bolts and say, well, if you have Mike Evans and your opponent has this type of player, you should try and execute this type of trade. Where I think both avenues are useful and they are, I think they both provide actionable information, I think it's really important. I think you and Sam would provide that niche area where you're actually providing info that I think not just one person, because I mean, all sorts of folks will, will own these assets that you'll be discussing. So I think that'd be a heck of an idea, and I think it's a unique idea because I don't, I'm don't. i yet to hear of a podcast offering that type of information. Adam, you heard of anything like that beforehand? Dude, that's such a great idea. I don't know if it's going to work out exactly how I'm picturing it, but if you're taking someone's actual roster, we've done that. We did that when you had the Mike Evans situation. Oh, yeah, when we were um, talking with Tyler. That's right. Yeah, yep. When we were talking with Tyler before the season, hey, do I need to move Mike Evans for this, this, and this because I have this type type of team? And I think people were very receptive of that because everyone has these same situations. We're dealing with the same players. So I think that's an excellent idea. I can't believe anyone hasn't thought about that. So go ahead and get that out there as soon as possible. And then also, Sam was on our show, FF Stompy. So if you have never heard of him and 
you think that that sounds like an awesome pod, well, go get a taste of Sam. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I just heard that man talking with J. Mike, uh, the great Peter Howard himself, and also Swoboda uh, on the open bar just last night. They were sitting over there chopping it up. So that that's awesome. I th- I've seen... Man, I think Sam is just everywhere right now. He's been on podcasts. I mean, he's oh. doing he's he's putting out content. I mean, he's he's doing everything. So that that's awesome that uh, you were able to hook up with him, uh, Aton. And I'm definitely looking forward to you guys putting out some putting out some content for us to to take in. Especially with uh, I mean, if it's especially dur- if it's coming in during the off season and it's going to be providing actual information, either if it's prior to the draft or even afterwards, I think it'll be useful for folks that are you know getting into dynasty. So I'm looking forward to it. So definitely keep us in the loop, and we'll be more than happy to kind of push that content out to the folks. So, all right. So we've got that out of the way. But what we wanted to actually talk about are these composite scores. And so if if nobody's if nobody's seen them yet, and I know you've been tweeting them out, uh, Aton, for for quite some time now. It's been well, actually not quite some time. It's been what a couple of weeks now or something like that that you've been you've been kind of pushing these out. Um, yeah, it's been about a month or so. Okay, yeah. And uh, so could you give us the, I guess, the, the history or the background as to how you've put these together and uh, what is what is the, I guess, the basic process for how you've put these together? All right, so right now um, I find that it's, it's tough to get a gauge on proper values um, when trying to figure out your team's needs and, and what you're actually looking at in trades. There's so much information out there that it's kind of become... Uh, information overload to a certain point just because you don't know how to weigh metrics versus uh, where that player fits on a team versus uh, that player's usage and uh, looking at the efficiency instead of the uh, athleticism metrics and so on and so forth. Uh, So what I've done is kind of try to take as much as I can out of all of these different ways of looking at players and kind of boil it down to a way to just understand how all of that works together to actually formulate a dynasty asset and what that dynasty asset should mean to you going forward. So it's analytical, maybe less mathematic, but I feel it has uh, similar applications. Okay. And so with as many metrics as, because I'm kind of, I'm looking at one of the sheets right now and I'm seeing quite a few different metrics. I'm seeing QB score. I'm seeing longevity score. I mean, there's the, the usage that you just pointed out earlier. Can you think of, I guess, either one or two metrics that have the greatest effect on the composite score itself? And that could be, uh, and while I, it might be kind of nebulous because I haven't narrowed it down to any particular position, but if, let's say, we're talking about I don't know, a wide receiver, so what metrics would have the greatest effect on the composite score for a wide receiver? Um, well, for a wide receiver and for anything that you'll find in one of these composite score lists, um, you kind of have to weigh everything uh, as equally as possible. Again, if you look at the tables themselves, there's no uh, specific uh, mathematical metrics, but you'll find scores that take in the athleticism as a function of maybe where that player's role is on that team. For example... Uh, DJ Moore hasn't had uh, much production uh, so far in his career. Obviously, he had the big game uh, last week uh, that everybody saw, but he still ranks fairly high on the list simply because his ability to uh, get down the field and his ability to provide that yards after catch 
is a skill set that somebody like Devin Funches doesn't quite possess. So it takes all of those things into account and just boils it down in a simpler way. Okay, and I, I can get behind that. So now if you're looking at any of the intangibles, so things that are kind of off the field, like a player's, and this wouldn't necessarily be, you couldn't apply this to, to rookies, but let's say for established veterans, like have you looked at their contract situation to try and see how the team values that particular player? Would that be something that would also be a part of the composite score as well? Absolutely. That has a direct effect on both the longevity and stability scores for that player. Uh, A player that is signed to a deal that is long term, uh, that has dead money that remains on the deal, that is similar to the actual cap hit of that player over a number of years, that player is in a relatively stable situation. We can kind of predict, you know, barring injury uh, as best as we can, that that player will be featured in that offense to the level of that contract. Obviously, like you said, this doesn't necessarily work out with rookies as they're all on their own rookie-scale deals. Uh, but for veterans uh, specifically, a guy like Jarvis Landry, even though he may not be having a stellar season, the fact that uh, he's signed to Cleveland, I believe he has a dead cap hit that kind of precludes Cleveland from moving on from that contract until after next season. So you know that he's going to be relatively safe in that offense, and you know that he's going to have a definite role uh, in that offense for the remainder of this year, for next season, and possibly beyond. Uh, Mike Evans would be another example of this. Now, Aton, when you sent us this document, I purposely didn't dig into it as much as I would like, and I promise I've been itching to look into this more, but I wanted to provide a perspective to people who – haven't uh dug into it when we did this episode i wanted to have sort of fresh eyes so what i want to do real quick is just kind of describe what we're looking at and then when we put out the episode we will also make sure that we share a lot of these documents that you've been putting out so people have an idea but what we're looking at during this episode on your excel sheet is the wide receivers ranked and then from left to right we're looking at age team roster role team role contract and then we get into your scores which are phenomenal you have a usage score a longevity score a stability score a consistency score a qb score non-wide receiver target competition which i think was awesome that you thought of and then your dynasty composite scores your overall score so provide a little context for the people listening at home so are these all just your rankings this is your opinion or do you have some sort of algorithm that kind of helps you in the background? Everything, uh, like again, uh, is kind of taken into these scores. There is no particular algorithm, but there is it. It is a living document. It's a document that's updated uh, biweekly, and it uh, takes a weekly look at targets, for example, for wide receivers to get that usage score, and it will take a a look at any changes in uh, maybe if a player is traded or a new contract extension or a reworking of a contract, and it will factor that directly into the scores. Uh, From left to right, I'm just going to kind of go over uh, each category, and uh, I believe why that category is important to understanding wide receivers, for example. And we also have uh, running backs that I'm sure we'll talk about uh, after this. So roster role. This is a category that is going to be primarily focused on how you should view this receiver as a dynasty asset. And 
I think that might be a little bit confusing because it's not necessarily the role that that player has on a given team. For example, you should view Cooper Cup as a wide receiver two on your dynasty roster, regardless of how he performs, even if he's kind of performing to a wide receiver one level, simply because even though he's guaranteed a number of targets in that offense, you know that Brandon Cooks and Robert Woods are going to take looks away from a Cooper Cup. So you're not going to get those insane boom weeks from a guy like Cooper Cup that you would from a guy, again, I'm going back to uh, somebody like maybe DJ Moore, maybe even John Ross. But you're going to get consistency from Cup, which is the differentiating factor in in his sense. So you're always going to get a stable floor from him. Uh, So he can be slotted in as your wide receiver too, because he's not necessarily going to win you a week. He can, he's shown that ability to have a boom week or two every now and then. Um, But you know that you're going to get a solid uh, 10 to 15 points from him, especially in PPR leagues, game in, game out. So roster roll again is just a way for you to understand how this how this player should optimally uh, be used on your squad. If it turns out that you have a wide receiver three on this list and he's actually playing that wide receiver one role for you comparatively, you're probably much weaker against the field. The contract, I believe this is one thing that is extremely avail- uh, extremely important in evaluating dynasty assets because of the ability for teams to get out of these contracts so easily and to shift players around and to move them around the league. Understanding how tied or how invested a team is to a player uh, gives you uh, an eye into, again, what you were saying, Chris, about how that player views that team and how they intend uh, to use that player. Now, if it doesn't necessarily work out and shows that a uh, an albatross contract is still left on the books due to non-production in a given season. Understanding that that team has an out or has a dead cap hit that is significantly lower than that cap hit the following season could kind of give you a heads up on understanding that, hey, this player is likely to not be on this team anymore because this team isn't so tied to them, isn't so invested to them. And so as for the players themselves, so if we're talking about how the team and how the front office evaluates them, but let's look at how they're actually used on the field. So if their roles start to change, so let's look at uh, the the easiest example that comes to my mind is how Stefan Diggs' role has changed over the past few years, where 2016, he was just a slot receiver extraordinaire, where the majority of his routes were run from that position, but over the past couple of years, he switched to the outside, which has brought Adam Thielen into the limelight over the past couple of years. So now as both of their roles have, have kind of flip-flopped, I mean, have, and I know that you've just put together these composite scores, but would that be something that would, I guess, change or, I guess, or, or move, kind of move things around on your spreadsheet as their roles change on the field? Absolutely. I mean, honestly, just looking at the league nowadays, you kind of understand the value of slot receivers. And you understand that even though these receivers may not be as necessarily talented as their colleagues on the outside, not that that's not always the case, as we see between both Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs, they're both extraordinary. What you find is that uh, slot receivers tend to 
not have to deal with that number one cornerback. They don't get the toughest coverage, and for that reason, they tend to get more catchable targets. And these catchable targets allow them uh, to convert at a higher percentage and to provide uh, a more stable floor than most outside receivers. So there's a little bit of a leaning uh, towards that way when it comes to team role. However, there are also move receivers, and these receivers are important because you understand that they cannot be specifically game-planned out. Um, If you put a guy like Chris Harris on Adam Thielen from the Denver Broncos, a slot corner extraordinaire, Adam Thielen's probably not going to have his biggest game uh, that day. But, I mean, it's likely that if you're playing the Vikings and you really only have one great cornerback to put out there, you're going to put him on the outside to try to limit those big plays that you might get streaking down the sidelines. So um, it's important to understand how the receivers are used in a given offense and to assign some sort of a value to that. And I've always thought this to be quite interesting over the past, I would say, let's say the past two seasons, how I guess just the slot receiver position as a whole has become less of a, I don't know, it doesn't have such a negative connotation as I once thought it to have, where it was in 2015, 2016, I mean, slot receivers, of course, they were useful, but and especially for both real football and also fantasy purposes, but they were just those guys that, yeah, I'll pick them up in a PPR league because I know I'm going to get that, you know, just the, the Jarvis Landry stat line, like the, you know, the 5 for 50, the 6 for 60, and I know I can get that stable production. But here now in the past couple of years, we've been actually been able to find not necessarily your your top wide receiver ones or anything like that, but we've been able to find, I mean, just high-end wide receiver twos. I mean, we're talking about Adam Thielen. I mean, Jarvis Landry, maybe not so much this year, but I do think that that's coming because his role in the Browns has changed from what he was used previously in Miami. But if we if we look across the league, I mean, Cooper Cup, uh, Robert Woods, when he, when he moves into the slot, I mean, we're starting to see a number of players actually operate more efficiently out of the slot position. And I guess I'll open this up to both of you guys. I mean, is this just the, I guess, the change? Is this an evolution of the game? Is this the way that the uh, offensive coordinators or head coaches are now trying to, I guess, fully maximize all the positions on the field versus saying, well, I've got this guy, he's a heck of a talent, but he plays on the outside, so I'm just going to hit him on the outside, and that's it. But now you're seeing wide receiver one starting to shift into the slot. We're looking at Michael Thomas moving into the slot. We're looking at, I mean, AB's been moving into the slot on a number of his routes for quite some time. So is it just, is this the league starting to evolve into the, to the point where we can now find efficiency or quote-unquote fantasy goodness uh, from, from all positions, not just those that play on the outside? It's all about matchups. It's all about matchups. And you can see this play out um, in what's happening to Tyler Boyd right now. Tyler Boyd with A.J. Green is very close to a wide receiver one, if not a wide receiver one, in terms of actual production. And the reason for that is, again, because he's drawing the second or the third corner uh, in that scheme. And A.J. Green is getting most of the defensive attention uh, focused on him. He tends to also get a safety over the top of him. We're seeing more and more teams shift to using three wide uh, more and more and more. Uh, In fact, one of the highest scoring teams, as we all saw in that amazing game the other day, the Los Angeles Rams this season used three wide at something like 99%. Last season, they were up at 81%. And even last season, they were about 20 to 30% higher uh, than the league average. We're just seeing offensive coordinators start to take advantage of good matchups in their favor. And if that means putting your best athlete 
in the slot to face a guy that maybe isn't as used to covering a, uh, someone as quick twitch as him. Uh, I think we're seeing how that's playing out on the scoreboard. People are scoring more. Uh, teams are still adapting to try and figure out how to shut down uh, that slot position. I think uh, the, the, the New England Patriots are one of the proponents of uh, what you can do in the slot, and I think they're one of the main reasons why we've seen uh, so many uh, offensive coordinators start to adopt the strategy of, of having uh, incredible quick-twitch playmakers, even if they don't necessarily have the deep uh, speed uh, that you need to win on the outside uh, in the slot. And on the other side of that, Rams matchup was the Chiefs and the, a little bit in the opposition of the Patriots. The the Chiefs, if I'm not mistaken, are the team that their wide receivers are all required to know the X, Y, and Z position, which is probably why they looked at Sammy Watkins over some of the other receivers available. And with offenses spreading out and the pass ratio getting so much greater than the pass-to-run ratio getting so great, you would think that teams wouldn't roster position-specific receivers anymore. I, I don't really know why you would. I'd be scouting players that can play on the outside and the inside fairly productively. I mean, Sammy Watkins has done pretty well this year, so we can skip. We can stick with that example. If you can move Sammy Watkins outside and Tyreek Hill inside and put Tyreek Hill on the worst cornerback on the other team, that's why he's blowing up. I mean, you can dictate the mismatches literally in play right before the snap you can dictate the mismatch so i think that's a bigger factor to me is that i would be looking for receivers that are move receivers i would prefer a move receiver over someone like jordan matthews is completely fantasy irrelevant if he's not in the slot if he's not playing big slot you don't want anything to do with jordan matthews i mean you might not want anything to do with him when he is big slot as well but he's been to me looks great as a big slot and then on the outside it's like where is he why would you roster that in today's nfl i don't know yeah that's a good point because i think there are some players that they they require that ability to to move within the zone and they won't be then they can't operate being on either man or press coverage so you see players like Jordan Matthews, you see players like Nelson Aguilar on the same team who if they move out of that position and they're placed on a stronger corner and they have a tougher cornerback matchup, then they do tend to falter like quite a bit. And now that I'm thinking, I mean, I was just kind of trying to go through my head in terms of the number of, I guess, predominant slot uh, slot receivers, and you do see a lot of them, uh, especially over the past couple of years. I mean, we've got we've got Sterling Shepard, Jameson Crowder, Michael even Thomas. Michael Thomas, yeah, Juju. yeah, Juju. I mean, we've got so many of those. I mean, so many of these like high quality slot wide receivers, and then for the life of me, the only two. I guess predominant slot cornerbacks that I can really think of off the top of my head is Chris Harris and Kendall Fuller. Mm-hmm. I really can't think of any others off the top of my head that are just like if you go into the slot, uh, you're, you're, I mean, prepare to get locked down. I, mean, I know that Patrick Peterson. I guess he sta- he started to follow some folks into the slot, but I think it's been yeah. more of on a case by case basis. But I mean, he's getting to the point where he's so old; it's not as much of a 
you know, a hard matchup for some folks, depending on the talent that you're talking about. So I, I'm wondering if it's something that uh, while offensive coordinators and head coaches have already uh, have already started to lean on more, I'm wondering if it's something that defensive coordinators will start to target here in the near future and try and find a way to limit that type of production that you can get out of that. So it's just... It's just funny to me uh, and something that I've noticed where it's like, okay, well, if your wide receiver one is having is having a, a, ba- a hard time of it on the outside, well, then just move him to the slot, and then everything becomes better after that. So there, I want, there has to be a way for them to kind of, uh, I guess, to mute some of that production, and I'm, I'm wondering how defensive coordinators will try and stop that in the future. But what we're actually finding as slot receivers have begun to become a little bit more prominent, a little bit more well-known, though, is that there is a difference in, in slot receivers. You need to have a very specific skill set. Going back to the Rams, again, the team that runs uh, three wide level personnel uh, the most in the NFL, uh, one of the reasons that Cooper Cup was so valuable to that team wasn't just the fact that he was a quick twitch athlete. He was also big enough to be able to take on blocks like a tight end. If you're going to be a slot receiver, you have to be – uh, somebody like a Cooper Cup, somebody like a uh, somebody like a Juju Smith Schuster that has the ability to block to be able to still uh, command a high snap percentage. Uh, if not, you're going to be schemed out in instances where uh, your team really just wants to run and maybe has heavy personnel out there and only has two wide, um, or a, a, a game where you find that uh, the outside uh, cornerbacks are actually the matchup, as in with the Broncos and with the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. And what we found in some of the players that we just mentioned is that, honestly, a lot of them would still be productive on the outside. So that goes back to the whole thing that these players are can move them. I mean, I would consider – I would say if Michael Thomas had the best matchup on the outside, you could certainly move Michael Thomas to the outside. He's probably going to win the matchup. Uh, same with Juju. So this goes back to finding guys that are – on teams that will find the matchups. The Steelers and the Saints are both great at that, especially with Antonio Brown on the other side of Juju. I mean, Michael Thomas is going to make it on his own. He also has Drew Brees. Traquan Smith had a great quote today where he said that and Drew Brees' eyes were never covered. Drew Brees is going to find the open spot no matter what. The team has a whole lot to do with how productive this player is, and Part of that is just open-mindedness. That's why I love this chart so much because you're taking everything to, into account, Aton, and a lot of what we're seeing on the field is not just the player. Like Michael Thomas, you can put anywhere, and he's probably going to produce. But Josh Reynolds just got thrown into Cooper Cup's position and had an excellent game. And the Chiefs haven't been slouches recently. They started the year horrible, but that's gone out the window. They've been pretty productive recently, and Josh Reynolds still had – a fantastic game in Cooper Cup spot. So we love Cooper Cup, but you can put another player in there and he's going to be productive. That's important to look at, and that's a reason charts like yours are so important. And I think that kind of brings me to my next point in kind of what I saw or one of the things that I saw on the on the composite scores. Like when we're looking at uh, the QB score that you have for wide receivers, I did notice that for one of them, for for Antonio Brown, you have his QB. You had his QB score at four, and for Cooks, his QB uh, his QB score is five. So if I'm if I'm reading that correctly, is it were you were you trying to say that you believe that Cooks is in a better quarterback situation? So Goff is better than than Roethlisberger. And while I say Goff is better than Roethlisberger, assuming that was what you're we were indicating by your chart, 
I think, and at least the way that I'm interpreting it, is that it's not just the quarterback, it's also the offensive scheme that that, that that quarterback is in. I think there's two parts to it that we need to that we need to account for. So is that where you were going with that? Am I am I, am I interpreting what you had on the on the spreadsheet correctly? Absolutely, it uh, incorporates scheme, but it also incorporates longevity. The reason that uh, Jared Goff is rated a five, whereas a guy like Ben Roethlisberger, who can throw for those you know 400 yard, five touchdown games as often as Jared Goff can, is rated a four. Um, the reason is there's not as much of a potential for longevity for that connection between AB and Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, they're both on, or they're both exiting the primes of their careers. Roethlisberger has already hinted at retirement a couple of times. And for that reason, uh, that connection is not necessarily as stable as uh, Cooper, uh, not Cooper Cup, as uh, Brandon Cooks. Uh, just looking at Brandon Cooks's contract, uh, he signed a new deal this offseason, five years, $81 million, uh, with a $7 million signing bonus. And if you look at his contract details, uh, you find that the dead cap hit, meaning the, the cap hit the team would have to take if they were to trade or to cut him, is actually pretty high through the 2021 season. In the 2021 season, the cap hit uh, is actually just a bit larger uh, than the dead cap. So it's at that point that you might think that possibly a restructure or a actual trade or a cut could happen uh, to a Brandon Cooks. But he's going to be there for the next three seasons. Goff is still on his rookie deal. Uh, so he's going to be there. I believe he has a fifth-year option after this season. Um, so there's potential for that being a connection for years and years and years from now. I try to look at everything uh, in a three-year window, and towards the end of a three-year window, A.B. and Big Ben might not still be a thing. No, and I think that absolutely makes sense, and it was kind of one of those where I initially saw it, and I was like, well, I can I can see both paths to how you could arrive at that type of score. And especially when you incorporate the longevity portion that you so well put, I mean, you explained, I think it absolutely makes sense as to how you would wind up with that particular score on the on the spreadsheet. Now, Aton, the next question is actually about the bottom of your list, but I actually want to talk about the top of the list first. So I'm going to name the first five players, and then I just want to ask a couple questions about them. I know it's a little off script, but... We've got DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Adams, Julio Jones, and Adam Thielen. And let's put the let's go seven because then it gets to A B and you know, it's pretty predictable from there, I think. But after Thielen, you have Michael Thomas, you have Brandon Cooks. What I want to know is if you didn't take any of uh, these factors into account that you've developed and you just had to create your own rankings, would you rank these players the same? Absolutely not. It hurts my soul to have AB outside of my top one, two, three, four, five, six players. Oh, my goodness. Um, but I try to be as objective as possible. And like uh, sure. you mentioned before, try to take in everything that I possibly can when dealing with these rankings. As we mentioned, AB is already on the back end of his career. I'm not saying he's slowing down by any means. That might be two years. That might be four years. Mm -hmm. No one really knows. But generally, wide receivers peak at age 26 in their age 26 seasons, and they carry that peak through their age 29 seasons. Mm -hmm. um, I believe this is 
uh, Antonio Brown's age 29 season, meaning next season uh, he's actually kind of at the age cliff when it comes to wide receivers. Now, obviously, Larry Fitzgerald would have something to say to me about that, Mm -hmm. and I get that. But in trying to evaluate a dynasty asset, and again, this isn't a ranking of the top or most talented receivers, in trying to evaluate a dynasty asset, being able to have some handle on how the future could affect this player's situation uh, should be one of the top factors on your list because uh, you want to be able uh, to, as we would all say, you know, buy low and, and sell high. When mm-hmm. a player is at its at his peak, uh, if you're not necessarily contending and you may not be contending for two or three seasons, as good as a guy like AB is to you right now, is he really somebody you want on your roster going forward? Or is he somebody that you want to try to flip now at his highest value to maybe get two, three firsts and a solid couple of starters for a team that you're going to have to rebuild? Uh, conversely, if you happen to be contending, you want all the AB you can get. You don't want all the Jones, all the feeling you can get mm-hmm. because, hey, I'm trying to win. I mean, at the end of this, at the end of the day, you can have a sexy roster, but that's not what wins you the pot. Uh, You want to have guys that are producing. So uh, in taking all of those factors into account, um, I I, I set these rankings and I had to just leave them alone without any of my own personal biases kind of fiddling uh, with how all of that shakes out. Yeah, I thought that was important to mention so we didn't have to deal with all of the tweets wondering why Cooper Cup was at 12 and calling you crazy. (laughs) (laughs) I do not want to have to look at your mentions if we had to put that out there. (laughs) Uh, But next I want to talk about Russell Shepard. Really weird to talk about Russell Shepard on a podcast. He's wide receiver, New York Giants. He's the last person to make your list. That is – scroll, scroll, scroll – Keep scrolling. That is 103 on your list. So why did it stop at 103? Why was it important to fit Russell Shepard in there? What do what does he have that makes your list? It wasn't. You can blame our lads for that. Um, I honestly just went to that website. Quick, mm-hmm. you know, shout out for them. Uh, and I looked at the depth chart and found that he was the technically third wide receiver on the depth chart. Uh, I guess this was before Corey Coleman. Um, and there was no real reason I stopped at 103. I just tried to include at least three receivers from each team. And like I mentioned before, this is a living document. I'm always adding to it. And so I will continue sure. to add to this, especially as we get rookies in the following class. Um, I mean, that just kind of goes to show what a true you know asset is worth. Obviously, nobody's trading anything for Russell Shepard uh, in Dynasty. But you can kind of look at this chart and, and see the reasons why. He's not in a consistent role. He doesn't have a consistent target share. He's not really uh, going to be there for a long time because he's already 27. He's not really stable in his position. We saw he's just been kind of uh, – his job has basically been lost to Corey Coleman as soon as Corey Coleman came into that fold. So um, just kind of looking at these, you can get an idea of, hey, regardless of talent, how safe is this player that I'm actually investing in? And actually, I was going to ask, just listening to how, you, like, you mentioned that this is going to be a living document, and that while that absolutely makes sense, I'm just kind of trying to get a feel for your process. So let's say it's 2019 draft, so we're looking at, you know, April, May, you know, it, the draft is coming in, the rookies are getting announced, and they're going to their teams. 
are you going to be adding players like to the list like as it's happening or once everything's all said and done? Are you going to start stacking things up and trying to look at the different situations and trying to add to it? Or what it, I guess what are you going to be doing as, these, uh, as, as the class is announced and where their situations are, what teams are going to be heading to uh, get revealed to the rest of us? Well, not only are the rookies going to be added to uh, this list as soon as their uh, landing spots are made uh, available, they're going to affect the rankings of every other player on this list. Stability score is a function of your hold on a depth chart role on your team. Odell Beckham Jr. is the number one for his team. It does not matter who else comes to that team. Odell Beckham Jr. will remain the number one. Devin Funchess was, last season, by default, the number one on that team. And as soon as a more talented wide receiver or a more talented group of wide receivers began to find their health in terms of Curtis Samuel, we found that Devin Funchess wasn't actually a you know, bona fide wide receiver one and that he had that role due to circumstance more than anything. So as the new rookies get incorporated into their team, um, what I'll be doing is uh, trying to figure out, uh, well, first I would take a, a, a look at what the vacated targets for that team is and figure out exactly uh, what that team's need in terms of a wide receiver, if it needs an outside threat, if it needs a deep threat, if it needs somebody to be able to score uh, in the end zone. Uh, and then once the receivers are announced in terms of where they're going, I can kind of figure out what that receiver does well, how that receiver fits in with the other options already on that team, if there's any uh, redundant skill level, and uh, and kind of see where that fits. So let me try it and see if I can give you an example here. Let's uh, let's kind of go back to a guy like uh, let's 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 go back to Jarvis Landry for example. Right now, Jarvis Landry is the de facto number one wide receiver of the Cleveland Browns. My personal opinion is I don't believe the Browns are going to add to that receiver room because they already spent on Antonio Callaway. Uh, they already have Rashard Higgins there, who actually is performing pretty admirably. And they have a few other rookies that are decent, uh, along with David Njoku, who really should be their quote-unquote wide receiver two on that team. Uh, you also have Duke Johnson in the backfield. So I feel like that team is pretty stocked uh, in terms of receivers. But if they were to add a receiver, the type of receiver they would probably add is an outside threat, a lot of Josh Gordon. I still don't understand why they traded him for a fifth-round pick, but that's neither here nor there. If they get that type of receiver, that greatly impacts Jarvis Landry. That is both a boon and kind of a worry about what happens with Jarvis. I don't know if we'll see his target share, but again, he'll probably be shifted uh, to be able to play his true role, which is a slot receiver. So he might be more efficient than he has been this season. So that's just an example of how understanding the rookie class and incorporating the rookie class into a chart like this is going to show the true charts dynamism. And I think you bring up a good point as trying to figure out not only how the new players affect the team, but also how they affect player roles and things of that nature. So I guess if, but you're looking at it from the, uh, you're looking at calculating some of these scores and putting together some of these scores like as the, like during the off season, but what happens during the season? So let's say if things were to make a change like in season, so like the, uh, unfortunate uh, ACL tear for Cooper Cup. How do 
the composite scores for any of the remaining players. So let's say as if Robert Wood starts to shift and play in, play in the slot a little bit more, even though Josh Reynolds has seemingly picked up the role like fairly well this past week. But let's say as Robert Wood's uh, usage starts to change, let's say that like how does his score change? Or even if now we look into the trade for Golden Tate for the Philadelphia Eagles. So now if his role starts to change, or even how that impacts any of the remaining players on the team, so we just met, we already mentioned Jordan Matthews, Nelson Aguilar, so how does that change the composite scores of any of those players? That's a really good question. Um, as I mentioned, they are bi-weekly during the season, so every couple of weeks I kind of judge the landscape of uh, the NFL again, look at all of these team situations, look at uh, any emerging players or any players that are depreciating in usage or value, and try to kind of um, add that new information into this uh, chart. But for these three deals specifically, um, there's a number of things that happened. Cooper, uh, Mari Cooper, actually got a big bump moving from Oakland to Dallas, and that's not necessarily because he has a better quarterback in Dallas than he did in Oakland. I'm not going to be here to, 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 to make this uh, or to take this stand to die on this hill. I personally believe Dak Prescott is a better quarterback than um, Derek Carr simply because Dak Prescott can do more things, but Derek Carr is a better thrower than Dak Prescott. So there, there's an argument to be had there. But Mari Cooper got a bump because he was seeing consistent targets, uh, and that was because he no longer had to battle with Jared Cook or Jalen Richard for targets uh, in Dallas uh, like he did in Oakland. And that was really his downfall this year. Last season, we saw a dip in Amari Cooper's efficiency. We saw a dip in catch rate. Uh, drops, as we all know, were an issue. And those types of things kind of corrected themselves this year. What we saw uh, earlier in the season when he was still in Oakland is just not a consistent target uh, share and not a consistent look in the end zone. He didn't really have a high end zone target percentage. In Dallas, he has the highest end zone target percentage since he's been on the team. I think he's seen something like 90% of their end zone looks in the last few games since he's been with the Cowboys. Uh, he's getting a consistent target share. He, I believe, only saw more than six targets uh, only twice in Oakland. He's seen more than that in every game that he's been in Dallas. Uh, and so you can kind of project him to be a little bit more of a stable asset in Dallas than Oakland. Also, uh, there were trade rumors floating around Amari Cooper when he was in Oakland, uh, so that would limit his uh, stability score. Now that he was traded for a first-round pick, I might add to Dallas, we know for a fact that they're going to resign him. So we know that he's going to be with that team for a long time. We can start to try and make some future projections uh, based on that knowledge. For Demarius Thomas, I'm a Bronco fan, so this kind of hurt my soul a little bit because I love DT, but I traded DT in Dynasty, and I did it three years ago, knowing kind of what we see now from DT. Without a great quarterback, he was never really a receiver uh, that you wanted on your team, and he seems to have that big body style, that uh, bigger-than-you, faster-than-you, contested catch style, along with some screen game that kind of meshed well with somebody who wasn't opposed to throwing into tight spaces, a la a Peyton Manning, who can kind of get, get the ball where it needed to be whenever it needed to be there. Case Keenum was a little bit more of a conservative uh, quarterback. I know he throws deep, but he, he really throws to open targets. Um, I, I think that Demarius Thomas moving from the Broncos to the Houston Texans 
was only bad for his fantasy value in the view that he's probably not going to be on that team next season. It was never going to happen for both him and Emmanuel Sanders, both on the Broncos next season. If you look at the contracts, they, I think, were top five in wide receiver spending in the NFL, which is ridiculous if you actually consider the personnel they had when you uh, still had Demarius Thomas. But there was a chance that he could potentially be there next year and that Sanders would be the one dealt. Now that he was dealt, we definitely know he's not going to be there next year. Now he has to learn a new system in the middle of the season and we still know that his contract for next year is still very expensive and Will Fuller will be coming back next season. So we can probably infer uh, just based on those factors alone that he's not going to be on the Texans for very long either. So all of these things are just going to to muddy the waters uh, when it comes to uh, Demarius Thomas. We're not going to be able to figure out exactly where he's going to go and how he's going to fit with that quarterback. And he's also on the older side of what you want from wide receivers. And with his skill set that, again, depended on out physically new, I think it's it's going to be tough for him to, to, to really be much of a thing moving forward in the same manner as we saw from, I guess, last season, Des Bryant, and in the same manner that I believe we're seeing from this season's Brandon Marshall. I don't think he's quite there yet, uh, but I think – uh, if the cliff hasn't already come for DT, it's it's very, very close. No, Aton, you've heard every episode, so you know we're vastly interested in practical application. And I want to touch on a very difficult subject in Dynasty, which is injury. So we mentioned Cooper Cup a little bit. I kind of just want to walk through the process with you on how your chart changes when a player gets injured. Because we don't all have sweet charts, but we can take an injury and say okay this player's value got hit here this is how he's affected in the future maybe josh reynolds comes in and does fantastic and then cooper cup has a little more of a timeshare something like that next year i kind of want to just talk about okay cooper cup tears his acl exactly which sections of your chart are you changing and how are they changing i love cooper cup Uh, i drafted cooper cup in the third round of a rookie draft couple of seasons ago and he has just been a dynasty darling ever since i mean stability in a way that is rare from young receivers we've seen with him and he's only 25 years old my chart doesn't necessarily change based on season ending injuries that much during the season what it does is it really just has a freezing effect on where that player is ranked um in anticipation of figuring out where they are in terms of the injury next season. I don't, again, also don't give bumps to players that are uh, benefiting from uh, having more looks because a guy is injured if I expect that guy to be back next year based on the contract like I would expect uh, somebody uh, like Cooper Cup. But I'm worried about this instance specifically uh, as a Cooper Cup, as somebody who rosters Cooper Cup, as a, as a nasty fantasy gamer who rosters Cooper Cup, I am worried because I'm not a medical professional and, you know, understand that I, I'm i not super well-versed in, in all of this stuff, but uh, just kind of speculating a bit here. If Cooper Cup was a receiver that won with speed uh, or won with a physical ability uh, outside of agility, I wouldn't be too worried about an ACL issue, but he doesn't. He wins on quickness, and he wins on the ability to get in and out of his his breaks uh, very, very quickly, and I think an ACL affects that more than it would 
uh, deep speed, long speed. So I don't necessarily know what to do with Cooper Cup moving forward. I definitely wouldn't sell him before seeing him, but I saw a guy like Jordan Matthews have success in the slot, kind of lose some of his agility and not be the same player, and I just hope that that's not the same thing for Cooper Cup. I'm not worried about his role, in particular on that team, because I've seen the connection that he's had with Jared Goff over the last few seasons. Um, we talked about uh, end zone target share. Cooper Cup uh, led the Rams, I think, in that last season, and I think he was near the tops uh, this season as well. Red zone target share, third down target share. Cooper Cup is, is tops in all those categories in Jared Goff's uh, book, and I think that that role is safe. Also, uh, his replacement, Josh Reynolds, really doesn't play in the slot. What happens when Cooper Cup gets hurt is uh, Robert Woods moves into the slot, and he plays from there primarily, and Josh Reynolds plays on the outside taking his position. Uh, so I'm not too worried about them having a replacement already on the roster uh, for Cooper Cup. Also, because of the presence of Josh Reynolds, uh, I'm not too concerned that the Rams are going to go out and draft another wide receiver or get another wide receiver in free agency. So I think everything with him in terms of role is safe, but I really can't move him up or down the list um, on, on any of the scores until I see how he really comes back from this injury. I just hope that it hasn't sapped him of his uh, agile nature and that uh, we see the same thing uh, next season. But again, that's going to be a, a function of, of the first few games of the 2019 uh, season. So basically you're looking at it kind of glass half full and I was looking at it sort of glass half empty and it was interesting. You kind of answered my argument as you went along, which is perfect. So what I'm thinking as I go through here and a player tears his ACL and we use Cooper Cup as the example, I'm looking at the you should score has to freeze because they're not being used. So, you know, how could that change? Get that. The longevity score, well, now we're kind of worried about the ACL, but you don't know how he's going to come back. So I get that freezing too. The stability score, well, I mentioned Josh Reynolds and you provided great feedback on, on that. But I love how you said they have Josh Reynolds. So that's almost like freezing a position that they won't target that in the draft next year. Because I was kind of thinking, well, now the Rams see that they can plug pretty much anyone. I mean, like you said, if you can just move Robert Woods in and get the same production, well, when his out Cooper Cup's outcomes in 2019, they're not owing him a lot of money anyways. They could just cut him. And I, I get that that's probably not going to happen with Cooper Cup. He kind of is the Rams. He kind of personifies that team. But these are the type of things we're looking at when – players go down with injury these are basically all the things right in front of you that go through everyone's head but without knowing it you know nobody's thinking okay what's this player's stability score or what's their consistency score now but we do think about these things so you did a great job of taking what we probably don't process them very functionally and you put it into a functional usage yeah i mean again there are certain cases where just knowing the the other players and knowing the contract situations on the team help. Um, if there's a receiver that's going to leave the Rams in the next couple of seasons, it's going to be Robert Woods. And it has nothing to do with Robert Woods. It has everything to do with the fact that uh, Robert Woods' dead cap isn't, uh, I, I think, going to be an issue uh, following, I believe, this season. 
Um, and I think they can save something like six million. I think in let me let me look here. I'm not sure what his current deal is. Give me one second. Okay, so it looks like he has an out in 2019. They can actually get away from his contract next season. They probably won't, especially because of the injury. His contract after that point doesn't have a dead cap that would preclude them from moving a guy like Cooper Cup. They already have him on a four-year deal, um, and they'll have the ability to re-sign him to a contract at that point uh, that will probably be similar to what Robert Woods uh, would be making. But in terms of their age, they're actually fairly close, so... I feel like they're they're very much interchangeable, and just the simple fact that you can get out of Woods' contract earlier than you can get out of Cups makes me not worry about Cups' long-term stability uh, so much, assuming he comes back and is the same player that he was before he got injured. So with that being the case, does that mean you're worried more about Woods' long-term stability? Long-term, I want these guys, Brandon Cooks first, Cooper Cup second, and Robert Woods third. And that's just because, uh, like you, like I was saying before, yeah, I, I think that they can get out of Robert Woods' deal a little bit easier uh, than they can get out of Cooper Cups. And they'll need to pay everybody pretty soon. I mean, this is kind of a, you know, let's, let's go all in and kind of see what we can do here. But you have to understand, next season you're going to have to pay Jared Goff. He's going to be yeah. – uh, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to get his fifth year – uh, down, but you're going to have to pay him real quarterback money, and yep. you're also not going to be able to pay both Ndamukong Sue and Aaron Donald. You already paid Donald, so Sue's contract is gone. I think it was only a one-year contract for something like 13 to yep. 15 million anyway. Um, so they're going to have to start cutting costs out in LA, and if they want to cut costs at the wide receiver position, Robert Woods would be the way to cut costs at the wide receiver position, taking production out of the the, the equation um, when when actually making that assessment. But, I mean, a guy like Robert Woods, I think personally probably is just more likely to get restructured than anything just because of the level of production that they can get out of him. And they don't spend a tremendous amount on their receiver room comparatively to the rest of the NFL. So uh, I think that's just a a pretty stable situation. I was just about to say I think we're going to see a lot of restructuring uh, in LA next year, a lot of it, maybe even Gurley's contract. I don't think his money's going to decrease, but people are going to want to play there so bad, and they're just going to love being with, especially if they get this Super Bowl and everyone wants to play with Sean McVay. I just heard the story on the game this past week how he brought a wide receiver into the office and went through every single play with the wide receiver and said, hey, man, you're not really open as much as you think you are. And the player left that room without wanting to quit the team. I mean, he left understanding that he wasn't quite that open. I kind of want to figure out which receiver that was. I'm thinking it was probably Brandon Cooks, just if I had to guess. But just to all to say that I think we're going to see more restructuring and not really any cuts. When you have a team that's that fun to play for and that good, people are just like, yeah, man, just give me whatever you want. I'm staying in L.A. Yeah, but, you know, Le'Veon Bell would tell you, basically, don't try to make too many predictions on whether or not people are going to take less money to win. <laughs> it matters to some people. It matters very little to some others. That's true. Yeah, that's that's a def- that's definitely a good point because we just don't know. Sometimes the things that happen behind closed doors are very different than what we see on the field where we see a lot of harmony we see teams being able to produce together as a single unit but then after the lights go off and we're talking and and money really becomes an important part of the discussion uh, i think all all bets are off after that to be quite honest with you 
Uh, wasn't that Aaron Donald holdout like one of the most civil holdouts ever? I mean, Sean McVay the whole time was like kind of got it <laughs> the whole time. You know, you look at the difference between Mike Tomlin and Sean McVay during the two different holdouts. It's like Aaron Donald, you could kind of tell, was like, yeah, I kind of wish I could go play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but here's the thing. Aaron Donald knew he was going to get paid. He's a defensive True. tackle. That's one of the – I mean, that, that's a position that you are one of the highest paid positions in the league if you're good, if you're a defensive lineman. That, that's that's where to make money. You want to be a defensive right. lineman, you want to be a left tackle, or you want to be a quarterback. That's how you yeah. make money in the NFL. You could also maybe be a wide receiver, maybe be a corner, yeah, but you better help yeah. that you don't bust your knee. Right. Now <clears> – <throat> A guy like Le'Veon Bell plays at a replaceable position, as is the great debate on Twitter and will forever be <laughs> from now until the end of time. He plays at a replaceable position. He knows that, and his agent knew that going into it. So I'm not going to sit here and defend what Le'Veon Bell did. Um, I don't know if I would or would not have reacted in that same way. Honestly, I'm not in that situation. I don't believe right. it's fair to comment on that situation without you yourself being involved in it. That said – there's a lot less stability to Le'Veon Bell's career. If he doesn't get his guarantee now, he could be irrelevant next year in a way that Aaron Donald knew that even if he sat out an entire year, or even if he busted his knee, he would still be a hot commodity on the market the following season Mm -hmm. in a way that that Bell wouldn't be. That's absolutely correct, and I think that it's difficult for us to try and parse out the situations and see them differently for what they are, uh, even though... I mean, the the thing really staring us all in the face is the replaceability of the of the position that Le'Veon Bell plays at, and yeah, comparatively speaking, I mean, if you look at Aaron Donald's situation to Earl Thomas's situation to Le'Veon Bell's situation, I mean, Aaron Donald's situation was a walk in the park, comparatively speaking. Now, yeah. whether, whether that be the uh, the nature of the positions that they play. Or even just the, the the respective teams and the head coaches that operate them, because uh, I know Mike Tomlin is really more known more to be a players' coach than anything else, and it does seem like Sean McVay is. I mean, essentially, that dude's a robot. If I'm not, if I'm, if I'm really being honest, just because of the way that he can process and recall, uh, recall, I guess schemes, plays, and things of that nature. But yeah, I, I do believe that at least when it comes to just looking at just the the basics of looking at each situation, it does seem like the replaceability of the positions is really what it comes down to. So something to keep in mind, especially as we move into the 2019 season, because yeah, there are going to be a lot of decisions, a lot of hard decisions that the Rams are going to have to make. So at least I hope that they make it, uh, you know, they make it to the Super Bowl and uh, everybody can be happy afterwards and then kind of, right. you know. Hey man, I don't need one anymore. I have the Rams chief. Like I'm good on the Super Bowl this year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, me too. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I mean, let's say. I mean, just. Uh, I mean, just off the top, let's say that they're the two that meet in the Super Bowl. I mean, can they can they top that performance if they wind up meeting again in the in what a couple months uh, or a few months? I just don't see it. Yeah, I, I see much more scoring game. Yeah, I mean, like, how how could you possibly? Yeah, how could you possibly score more than 105 points in a game? And like, how could it be better? I just can't see it being better. But I guess we'll have to wait and find out. Isn't it disappointing that any other year it would be so phenomenal to see the chief this year's Chiefs and this year's Saints? Yet we're all just kind of like, sorry, Saints. I mean, it would be so awesome for. Drew Brees to ride out into the sunset, yeah. breaking all these records this year, 
and ride out. And we're so selfish. Yeah, no, we, <laughs> we, don't don't we don't even care. Yeah, we, we, yeah, we don't even care. Yeah. I think that's just because, well, and no, I don't think it's for one singular reason because everybody loves Sean McVay. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody loves the redemption story for Jared Goff. I mean, everybody likes, I mean, Brandon Cook's basically moving from team to team to team and then producing. So, and of course, there's you know Todd Gurley, and like where Twitter is kind of raging on as to whether or not he should be in the MVP contention. So there's just like so many different storylines that that come with playing for or I guess investing in the Rams offense. That with it with the Saints, it's like it's Drew Brees, it's Michael Thomas catching literally almost every single pass that's tossed his way, and what Trey like Traquan Smith, Alvin Kamara running back in the NFL. Yeah. Jeez. I mean, yeah, it's, it's pretty much, it comes down to those guys. I mean, you just don't see as much, there's not as much like, I don't know, there's not as many storylines like coming out of uh, coming out of New Orleans as, as there is coming out of L.A. Yeah, Drew Brees, I want you to lose in the NFC Championship and leave the <laughs> NFL forever. Right, he's going to lose in the, yeah, he's going to lose in the playoffs again. And then yeah, we're going to have to, well, I mean, that, that'd be fine by me because <laughs> as, as long as he keeps coming back and, you know, sure. keeping uh, Michael Thomas's dynasty value afloat, then I'm all for that. So it yep. doesn't, doesn't matter that, you know, that doesn't you know, bother me one bit. You don't want Taysom Hill throwing Michael Thomas the ball? Oh my gosh! I'm, I'm, that's gonna—I'm sure it's gonna happen. I mean, it, it tilts me to no end whenever I see him come out on the field. I get—I kind of understand why they're doing it, but it's still bothersome. Oh, I love Taysom. Oh, it's extremely bothersome. But I mean, if you look at his uh, RB success rate or his uh, rushing success rate, it's actually relatively high. So yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's why Sean Payton. Yeah, some some props for for noticing something on his team. Yeah, that's why I get I get why they're doing. It, but it's just like every time, especially when they're in the, they're in the red zone. I'm like, don't do this, and like, don't you do this to me right now. Yeah. The only thing I can think every time Taysom Hill comes in is the Ravens. I think about the Ravens every time, and I'm like, why couldn't they do this? You, the Ravens bring Lamar Jackson out for the weirdest situations and run the same play yeah. every time, and then Lamar just trots off laughing every time, like he knows how stupid it is that he was just on the field, right? Yeah, it's just it's just biz- it's bizarre. I get it to some degree. I mean, with the with the Saints, I don't know what the Ravens are doing. Yeah, uh, I'm right but, there with you. Yeah, but they finally uh, got their quarterback on the field. It's fine. It, exactly. I think Joe Flacco was trying to get Lamar Jackson killed. I, so I literally sure that he might hire a hitman. I yeah. Think. Yeah. I don't think he stood up one time on Sunday. Nope. <laughs> he was on the bench in his jacket. Yeah, pretty time. much. Yeah. So <laughs> He's just, not happy. Just, not a just, happy camper right now. Just bizarre. Just bizarre. But all right, Aton. I mean, I think that wraps it up for tonight. And again, we thank you for sitting down with us and, and discussing some of the great work that you've done with both the uh, with both the worksheets and then also with the with the upcoming content. So before we get you on out of here, I want to just give you just a couple of minutes to really just I don't know wrap up and uh, you know the floor is yours to let the folks know either where you see this work going and any other updates or announcements that you want to provide to us tonight. Oh yeah, absolutely. Again. Many thanks. Many thanks for having me on. Um, I really, really had fun with you guys. You guys are extremely knowledgeable, and and this was a pleasure uh, to do. Again, for all those that are listening, uh, you can find me at FF underscore Wonderkid. Again, that's FF underscore Wonderkid on Twitter. Uh, You'll find me soon on the rest of the social media platforms as well. Um, but just look out for that now. I currently am writing for both 
fan tracks and for advanced sports logic. I currently do a, a report type thing that you can actually uh, contact me about. Go ahead and DM me if you want one that goes over uh, your team's weaknesses, strengths, um, kind of actually provides some some more analytical, mathematical metrics um, when it comes to um, actually comparing your team to the field. Uh, so let me know if you want one of those. You can actually find that at Advanced Sports Logic. Uh, just go ahead to that website and you'll find that there. I will also, uh, again, just to mention, um, I will also be launching a podcast this offseason that will go through individual teams and just kind of give some actionable advice on what specific people and specific circumstances can do on a week-by-week basis. Uh, just kind of give some personalized advice. That, like you mentioned at the beginning, I feel like there's so much macro content out there uh, that not quite enough time is spent on just the intricacies of actually being in a certain team situation and having to make a move that might not necessarily win you a trader pool, uh, but makes sense for your team. Um, so we'll, we'll be talking about that on that pod and i'm sure I'll, I'll be back here between now and then just to kind of let you guys know about that a little bit more and uh i've, I've had a blast all right man and we definitely appreciate you coming out and letting us know about that because i'm sure i mean if you if you open up the i guess your show to listener submissions for rosters i will be sending you every single one of my rosters so that we can figure <laughs> out what i have to do because i'm in at least one league with this guy and um, uh, I need to try and figure out how I can position my team to stay on top because I'm not going to be sitting here on this podcast listening to him tell me how he's beating me. I'm not going to do it. You beat me with Chris Conley this week. It was ridiculous. I know. I got him. I got over on him this one time, but I don't know how that's going to work out in the future. So once you and Sam get online and you guys are working everything out and whatever, let me know. Don't tell him, and then I will, I'll send you my roster, and then we'll figure this out, Okay. You will be the first episode, Chris. Absolutely. See, that's what I'm talking about. See, Adam? See, that's how that's how we figure stuff out on here. <laughs> Adam, like, we got you for two. We got you for two. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Now, see, you can't do that, okay? You can't, like, no, I said for me. Like, you're, trying to, you're supposed to be helping me out here. All right. All right. So, Adam, I mean, man, before we get on out of here, man, do you got anything for the folks? Yeah. Did everyone see how much money Scott Fish already had spent with John Bosch? That oh, was my. phenomenal. How much? Yes, how much was the, what was the total up to? I think well, fantasy cares got to forty some thousand, but wow. uh, that's my announcement for the week. I mean, you can find me at dhh underscore adam. But Christmas time's coming, man. That stuff is so much fun. Last year, I remember I did. Uh, I found some DFS guys. I didn't really know any DFS guys at the time. I just started, but I found some, and we split a hundred dollars five ways. Took twenty dollars and tried to make as much as we can. And I think we got to spend $244 for Toys for Tots last year. That stuff's fun, man. Get out there and get. Yeah, for sure. And uh, actually, yeah, because I saw uh, Carl was talking with, tweeting with Scott, I think, last night yep. about doing something down your guys' way. So if there's anything, any way that you, know, you guys can either raise awareness or if you guys are accepting donations, be sure to put that out to the community. I'd be more than happy for to sure. donate and, and uh, make sure, sure you guys can get out and do something like that this year so all right so everybody again uh we thank you everybody for coming out and uh, we had definitely had some fun on this episode a lot of a lot of content to digest so hopefully everybody was able to take that in uh but if not definitely go and hunt down aton on twitter and uh, get a hold of him and for uh for aton for adam uh for my uh, for myself i'm chris allen at chris allen ffwx we thank you guys for coming out and we'll catch you guys next week one pick when it hits you feel no pain praying for the 
fantasy championship. Dynasty. Hit the books, kid. Read this pamphlet called the Dynasty Owner's Manual. It's automatic. Dynasty. It's automatic. Owner's Manual. It's automatic. Dynasty. It's automatic.